All right, we are in week two of the message and warning from Jesus uh, about not judging people. Uh, and God has made it very clear, and, and so we, we really want to drill down on that. That passage came in Luke chapter 6, all right? Just to go back and tie everything up, Luke chapter 6, verse 37 uh, and Luke chapter 6, verse 37 uh, says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And so, uh, very clearly, uh, Jesus tells us, warns us about judging. And so, we, we spoke last week about this self-righteous judging, about not really knowing the facts, no, not knowing the context of somebody's life and making judgments about them. And it's not Christian-like. This isn't what God has called you to do. Uh, that's not showing love, okay? Uh, that's really showing the spirit of the world. And so we want to be convicted on this issue. Uh, and Jesus really uh, has been very clear about this. You can look also at, at Matthew chapter 7, where he spoke on this also on the Sermon of the Mount. And there he says in verse 1, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure, measure you use, it, it will be measured to you. Well, that's pretty profound warning there when Christ is saying that, that even as you're judging others, ultimately that judgment is going to come back on you. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be saved. Let's make that clear. All right, But what it means is that on the day when Christ reviews your life, it's called the Bema Seat, when we're in heaven and he will review your life and discuss with you what you did to advance the kingdom of God. Those kind of issues will come out. And these kind of things will be involved as God places you in a field of responsibility in heaven. We don't understand everything about it. We just know that this is the nature of what's going to go on. And so we don't really want to have these kind of issues hanging over our head. We really want to be able to have a clear conscience as we meet with God. Um, and, and in that passage, uh, it, Jesus makes it very clear about speaking to people uh, about a speck in their eye when you're walking around with a plank in your eye. And how many of us really have that issue, that, that, we, that we, we basically see other people's faults, but we don't see our own fault? And then we reach out and we speak to them about their faults, uh, as if that was a godly thing to do. Uh, and it's not a godly thing to do. And this applies especially so to people who are not saved. You're going out and judging people and making comments on people, and you think that this is a good thing to do, that you're going to bring them into the kingdom of God. And in fact, you're forcing them out. Because who would want to be around people that are fruit inspectors? Really? Those are the kind of people you want to call your pals? Fruit inspectors. Instead, I want to be about the kind of people that will embrace me in love and affirm me and carry me forward uh, in such a way. Uh, and so, really, uh, this becomes important. But even as we recognize this, and this, this week, I wanted to give context to that lesson because clearly uh, there is a responsibility at some point as a Christian to make some evaluations. You notice the difference of the terminology that I use, evaluation. And an evaluation is something done in Christian love with knowledge of all the facts uh, and asking God for wisdom. 
And Jesus really gives us a perspective on this uh, in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7. And here he's telling you, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit uh, is to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Well, what does this mean? It means this, that you're going to come across false teachers. You're going to come across false prophets. You're going to come across people that will parade in the church as if they are righteous and godly, and you don't just bow before them because they wear the robes of the church. Can I get an amen? amen. This is a critical message. This is something that you need to understand. This is what God is saying to you, that you have been given the Holy Spirit, that it is the Holy Spirit that allows you to make these evaluations. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, really, I'm really saddened when I see people just fall in lockstep with everything that may be done in a particular denomination or a church because that's what they've done their whole life. God hasn't called you for that. God has given you a responsibility to use the Holy Spirit and hear and weigh it. And look, are these people speaking godly truths? Are these godly men? Are, is the fruit in their life exhibiting that? That's the bottom line, isn't it? If I listen to somebody, what's the fruit? You know, you listen to the, a lot of these televangelists, and you find out later they, they, they've got net worths of hundreds of millions of dollars. Hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and you say, and, and then they parade as if they're humble servants of the Lord. Well, let me clue you in. Jesus didn't have $100 million, okay? He didn't have $100 million. And here's the other thing. Anybody who is truly devoted to the kingdom of God doesn't do it for money. You understand? They don't do it for money. And so if, in fact, you see that some of this stuff is being done because of a financial perspective, right off the bat, I would call that bad fruit. All right? Bad fruit. You need to weigh these things. Now, that is not false judging. That is evaluation, where God has given you a responsibility within the deeper work of the church to understand how things work. Now, this week, one of the key passages that I want to key off of is James chapter 4, all right, as we continue to drill down on this, because I really want to give this lesson some depth and some context, because I think it's important. It's spiritual maturity. We are not just recklessly judging people. We are using the Holy Spirit in a humble uh, way before the throne of God to make a proper evaluation. James chapter 4, verse 11. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy you. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And again, 
again, God is drilling down on us, this perspective about not judging others uh, and not slandering or gossiping. Uh, and certainly, certainly we are forewarned about doing this when people are not Christians and, 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 and speaking to them about their lifestyle or their conduct when in fact they're not Christians. Uh, but that when we do it within brothers and sisters in the church, to do it with love. As I told you last week, and it's one of the things that I, I always emphasize when I hear people say, well, I have a responsibility to tell people when I see sin. When I see sin. And, what do I, and, I, and I've asked people like that, well, what do you do when you see sin? Well, I'll just say, you know what? You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You need to be told that. And I said, and do you tell them about the heat? Because that's obviously where they're going. You know, hope they like hot weather. Uh, and, and they look at you with a confused view. But let me ask you something, really, truthfully. Use your brain. Who would be embracing that kind of a person? Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to church with you. Where do you go on Bible study? You go to Garippa's Bible? Oh, yeah, I'm going there. Because obviously that's an attitude that he must be foisting on other men. No, he's not. No, he's not. That is not the attitude that God wants us to have. Uh, and so we really need to be careful about this issue. But yet within the context of the kingdom of God, as, as people who are sold out to Jesus, when we see false teachers, when we see false doctrine, when we see false theology, and yes, folks, some of it occurs in church, okay? Some of it occurs in church. Not everything that you hear within the four walls of the church is the word of God, sorry to say, not everything you hear from the lips of televangelists is the word of God, sorry to say. And so God has given you that internal thermometer, the Holy Spirit. And so you need, you need to recognize that. Uh, and so you under, need to understand that. Uh, and so in order to stop what we call conflicts, conflicts between brothers in the kingdom, we need to submit to God's authoritative word uh, and to stop judging. Now, what does this judging mean that Christ has warned us about? Um, it, it, in fact, it, it means that we, when we say a word, that we understand all the facts in context of what somebody is involved in. You don't sit there and start making judgments about somebody that you don't know fully what's going on in their life. Uh, and, and so it becomes important for us. Uh, it's very different from what, for what James is saying and Christ is saying about false teachers and false prophets. Uh, we have an obligation as men of God and, and men who follow Christ to call out false teaching. Listen, there's all kinds of false teaching in this world, all right? There's all kinds of false theology in the world. You need to be on, on guard about that and have the discernment of the Holy Spirit uh, when you understand that. And so really it becomes important. Uh, I want you to turn now to 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 19. Let's start with 18. Timothy, my son, this is Paul writing, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and good conscience. Some have rejected this and so have shipwrecked their lives. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Whoa. It sure looks like Brother Paul is making some judgments about 
two guys. All right? All right? Well, it looks like he's making judgments about two guys. Who are they? Hymenius and Alexander, who obviously do not deserve to be within the body of Christ. We don't really know everything that they've done, but obviously they have been far outside the will of God. And what does he say? I'm handing them over to Satan. Now let's understand contextually what does this mean. Does he mean he calls Satan and says, here, Satan, here's two guys. Take these two guys. You can use them. I mean, no, no. I mean, uh, really. What it means is they're not part of the body of Christ. They're not going to be part of the worshipers of Christ. And in that regard, since they're not part of the bodies of Christ, they're outside of the walls of the church, and Satan will probably sift them. Uh, and he has made that determination. Uh, but I'm sure that if they repented of what they did and cleaned up their act, that he would take them back in. He, he doesn't, he doesn't pr uh, prescribe uh, to this uh, uh, ongoing eternal excommunication. And let me say something else. I recently read of a theologian in a denomination, and I won't say what denomination or what theologian, who, who calls himself an expert in church discipline, who wrote an article that says, and this is absolutely true, wrote an article that says that if a church encounters people that are problematic and those people exit the church, the church must, even though they voluntarily exited, must formally excommunicate them with a letter so that they can't join another church in the denomination. Now, what part of love is that kind of conduct? That's the very kind of conduct that God is calling you to call out. I repudiate that. There's nothing within the kingdom of God that says that people who voluntarily exit, them, exit from a particular church need to be served with an excommunication paper so they can't join another church. Have you ever heard of repentance or forgiveness? Do you see what happens when you start going down this road, this so-called road of judgmentalism? And religiosity, because I call it the same thing, where, you, where in fact, you're worshiping the church. You're worshiping the denomination and not worshiping Jesus Christ. No one who truly bows at the, at the throne of God or Jesus Christ would ever act like that. No one. You would be convicted. You would never act like that. Uh, and so you see this here, and I'm sure that Paul, when he did that, knew that if, in fact, they, they, they uh, repented, of their conduct that he would change. Look also at 2 Timothy. I'm giving you this to demonstrate context and depth that, yes, we don't judge. We don't act with recklessness. We act in love. And look at, look at 2 Timothy, uh, verse 17. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17. Actually, look at, look at 15. We'll start there. Do your best, again, to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman, who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Notice that. Correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. That's a good prescription for us. Be very careful of how you speak and your language, how you talk about other people, because it becomes part of your character. All right? And it doesn't lead to good things. It leads to bad things. All right? Bad things. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. 
Among those are, here's now he's naming a couple other guys, Hymenius and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some others. Now, you understand the nature of who he's judging and why he's judging? He's talking about people who are apostates. You understand? This isn't somebody who has uh, some slight character flaw. All right? This is somebody who has basically become an apostate and is undermining the very theology of which our, our faith has been built on, that the resurrection, meaning that there will, will not be another resurrection. Well, we know that that's not true, that God is going to raise the entire body of the church bodily as the graves will open up, and we know that. And so here he is, when people speak false theology, when they're out of line, we have to make judgments, we have to call them on it. And so there's another example of it. Uh, look also in chapter 4, same, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretius has gone to Galatia and Titius to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is help me, helpful to my ministry. All right? Uh, and then look at verse 14. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. He strongly opposed the message of Christ. That's when you make judgments. When somebody is speaking out against Scripture, when somebody is twisting theology, that is why God has given you discernment. Yes, those are proper, proper discernments. Uh, and so he is telling us, he's warning us to take heed. That is the responsibility that we have as men of God. So now you see the difference between self-righteous, judgmental determinations on the one hand, as opposed to godly, righteous uh, evaluations of the conduct of people. There's a very, very marked difference. And so you need to be aware of that. Uh, and so it is never judging, never judging to speak to someone um, about sin or false teaching if they are within the kingdom of God. You don't just go about and do that to people that are not Christians. It's a very different uh, text. Uh, and, and so let's understand that. Let's drill down on that. Turn, if you would, again, turn, if you would, again, to James chapter 5, verse 18. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So what does it mean? It means you have a responsibility if you know a brother, all right, or a sister has walked away from God, you have a responsibility to speak to them lovingly, lovingly, with care and kindness and gentleness. Can I make it any clearer? Care and kindness and gentleness as you bring them back, all right, as you, as you try to delve into what they're going through, as you have that spirit uh, of Christ, the very spirit of Christ 
as you do this. Yes, yes, that's proper. You know, when you see somebody doing something and you say, you know, I love you, Joe. I love you. But I have to tell you, God has laid this on my heart. He's laid this on my heart. It's hard for me to say it. But you know what? What you're doing here is not bringing you closer to Christ, but it's bringing you further away. All right? When you speak like that in love, people will listen to you. They will listen to you. And if they don't listen to you, then God will speak, you know, louder in some other ways. And so this becomes the responsibility of every spiritual leader. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're giving your Bibles a workout today. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, and by the way, we're talking about Christians. This is about people within the body of Christ. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Underline gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. How do you like that? That in the very act of trying to restore someone, you could in fact fall. All right? Uh, it's like I heard somebody once telling me that he felt he had a call to uh, spread the gospel in uh, taverns. There's somebody else who said they had a, they had a responsibility to go out and speak to, to, about Jesus to uh, a strip club. I would be very, very careful. about perceiving that message, <laughs> about perceiving that message, all right? Perceiving that message. It reminded me once of my, my, my father, who was just the most godly guy in the world, and he had two brothers who were just the opposite of my father. And they went on, they went on a 24-hour tear away from their homes and, and stayed in a tavern. Can you imagine staying 24 hours in a bar? And they did. They were his younger brothers. And his, the two wives had called my father. Both of these guys came to faith, believe it or not. Came to faith and are now with the Lord. But they called, the wives called my father and said, John, John, our husbands have been missing for 24 hours. And they're down at the Midland Bar. And they won't come home. Please, John, go down and get them. All right. So, so here's an example of what I would call a, a godly move. So he goes down there. He walks into the bar, and there they are, you know, half bombed, but they're playing pool, and they look at my father when he comes into the bar, and I go, John, what are you doing here? Okay, well, obviously he didn't come in for a drink. He said, I came in to bring you both home. Oh, no. Oh, no. Nobody's telling us when to go home. We're not going home. My father said, fine, I'm going to climb up on the bar and I'm going to start preaching about Jesus. <laughs> oh, no, you wouldn't do that. I'm going to do it right now unless you walk out with me right now and go home. Guess what? They left and walked out with him. <laughs> the very fear, the very fear of hearing Jesus preached in their, their haunt was so convicting that they walked out. That's the kind of message God wants you to have. So be very careful, you see, when you think that you're being called uh, to do something. 
uh, when, it's, when, when in fact you're probably misinterpreting uh, the will of God. And so the message, the, whenever we do this, whenever we speak like this, the message is constantly for restoration, for love, to bring people back to the cross of Christ. That's what it's about. It's not about you to feel superior. It's not about you to have an exalted position of yourself or to be self-righteous. Let's God to take that away from you. There but for the grace of God go we. Let me tell you something. Walk like that. Understand that. That's the nature of what it is. But God expects us, you know, in our walk, when we come against people that are fall, come upon people that have fallen or are walking outside of the will of God, that we restore them, that we bring them back to the kingdom. That's the nature of what it is about. And so here is the key. The key is motive. What is your motive as you're involved in this evaluation process? Is it about you inflicting pain or a sense of superiority? Or instead, it's about you extending the love of Jesus and kindness and gentleness and bringing back people into, uh, uh, into the kingdom of God. Motive is everything. That's why James says in our, in our passage that we read, do not slander. Slander meaning means do not malign or damage or gossip, okay? And I spoke to you last week about what I call prayer gossip. Even in prayer, be careful. You know, it's like, it's like you have a prayer chain and you're praying for people and the list goes out uh, and, and one of them says, we need to pray for Joe Jones. Uh, he's got family problems. He and his wife are having issues. And, it's, and that's, all, that's really all you need to know. Do you need to know that Joe is camped out with the neighbor's wife? All right, and he's been there for two weeks. Is that necessary? Do you have to spread that? You think that's good? That's the kind of news that God instead pray for the man. He needs prayer, he needs intervention in his life. All right, be careful about all those other extenuating facts that titillate us. Yes, they titillate us. We like to, we like to, you know, uh, go into those facts. Well, Christ doesn't need it, Jesus doesn't need it, the church doesn't need it. And so that becomes an important part uh, of understanding this. Uh, and, and look now, if you would, at First Philippians chapter, First uh, Philippians, uh, verse fifteen. Go there, if you would, just a few pages back from where we are. Philippians chapter one, verse fifteen. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. What does that mean? Some preach Christ. This is Paul writing. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Yes, yes. The mere fact that somebody is ostensibly preaching about Jesus doesn't mean that their motives are right or that they're called by God or that the message is in accord with the kingdom of God. You're hearing it right there, all right? Uh, uh, and then he con continues. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in change. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. How do you like that? He's rejoicing even though there are some people who are preaching their message because he's locked up. And they want to get a leg up on them. Uh, and and, and it, it's, so, it's so sad when you see this. 
And so that's why motives are important. That's why even as you speak out in love and affirmation and kindness, your motives are critical. Um, and, and, and that's why we need to do that. Now, let's talk about another issue. Let's, let's be careful about when we wrongly set up human standards rather than holding to God's word uh, as the key law to abide in our life. What does that mean? Well, you'll look at somebody and you'll, and you'll judge them from a cultural perspective. You know, this happened in, in scriptures in Romans 14 where he had to deal with people that were eating, that were, that were construing holiness based on a diet. Okay? Based on a diet. That you could only be holy if you had a certain diet. Uh, and, and in 1 Corinthians uh, 8, Chapter 8, the problem was meeting, was eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Uh, and these are areas where the Bible does not give definitive commands. There's nowhere in the Bible that effectively sets out a dietary code. Uh, and so be very careful about this. Uh, and I say this, first of all, about some of us who have determined for our own personal life that alcohol is, is, out of our, uh, is verboten. Well, listen, I'm not teaching this today, but clearly the Bible doesn't say anything that uh, alcohol uh, is forbidden. What it says is drunkenness is forbidden. And I can demonstrate in any number of verses to you that that is so. Uh, but if you have a personal perspective, okay, you have a personal perspective for yourself that alcohol should not be part of your life, fine. That's okay. But don't see somebody taking a drink of wine and you now pronounce judgment. I knew he was a sinner. I knew he was a sinner. How dare he come to church? He should be excommunicated. Look at him. He's actually there in wine. That's why at one point I had actually invented in my mind uh, what I refer to as the Costco prayer shawl. And that was so that you could go to Costco and if you wanted to buy a couple of bottles of wine, you could buy them, but then you could put the prayer shawl on top of it, so that if there are other brothers or sisters shopping in Costco, and when you got up to the register, they looked in your cart, you wouldn't be excommunicated. <laughs> I'm taking orders for that after the class. <laughs> you think I make this stuff up? <laughs> About two years ago, uh, we were in Costco, and we ran into one of the deacons from the church, a good man, uh, and he came over to my, my cart as I was, and I, obviously I'm not, I didn't have any wine in the cart, uh, but he came over to the cart, he came over to the front of the cart, put his hands on the front of the cart, looked down into the cart, and said, Brother John, how are you, my brother? As he made an inventory, as he made an inventory of the cart. You think I make this up? Linda said we're going to have to start going to Costco in Fort Lauderdale. This is the kind of conduct that's inappropriate. Listen, I'm going to tell you a story. I've told it before. It's absolutely true. My father told it to me that my father knew uh, uh, when he was a young person of a church, of a church uh, that had determined that if you went to the movies, uh, you were outside of the will of God. Okay? Now, growing up, I couldn't go to the movies, right? Growing up, I couldn't go to bowling alleys. 
Uh, we had a basic rule in, in our house was, is it fun? Well, then it's a sin. <laughs> so it was, pretty, it was pretty straightforward. But in this church, they had the rule that if you went to the movies, you were a sinner. So now I want you to realize what's, what I'm about to say. On Saturday night, there was one movie theater in that town. And so people would, would go to that movie theater. Well, this church sent out people to be spies. Yes, yes, yes. Sent out people to be spies and took down names. Took down names, and then the next day they had communion. And in this church, you would line up to take communion. And these people with the names would walk out to them and pull people out of line and say, no, no. You were at the Lincoln Theater last night. I saw you. Out, 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 out. That's right. They stopped people from taking communion. Folks, that is not godly judging. You understand? You understand what I'm talking about here? You think this is made up? You think I hear this? Uh, I mean, this, is, this becomes important to understand this, uh, that, that God wants us wants us to live godly lives. Here's another example. Let me bring this down, okay? There are some people that believe smoking is a sin. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that says smoking is a sin. I don't think they had invented smoking back then, all right? Now, the verse we use is that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's the verse. That's the, the doctrine. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the same people who will condemn some people for smoking will go up to a buffet table and it'll look like it's the last meal they will ever see. <laughs> so what part of gluttony is distinguished from smoking? Do you see what I'm saying? So we all have this individual plank in our eyes, all right? And that's what God is warning us about, all right? We don't make these predeterminations that he's a sinner. Look at him. Look at him there. I mean, really, he's a sinner. Here, let me break this to you. You may not know this, but Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, and several other well-known theologians smoke regularly. How about that? Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher in England, right after church would go up and light up a Marlboro. All right? All right, what's the point? The point is that don't judge people based on these facts. This isn't God, this, these are not godly determinations. You're making cultural perspectives, okay? But your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake about that. That's why you have an obligation to eat right, to exercise right, to take care of your body, to go to physicians when you need vision. Physicians, And if you know that smoking uh, can cause cancer, yes, you're right. You have a responsibility to take that with guidance and to act accordingly. And, and drunkenness, uh, excessive use of alcohol destroys your body. You know that. These are proven facts. Nobody now that wants to walk with Jesus would allow that to happen. That's different. You see? That's different. And so it becomes, becomes important. Uh, and so... Uh, we have to have judgment and discernment even as we go through these issues. And so the point that Jesus is making, the point that Jesus is making uh, in Matthew 7 uh, is that it is not wrong to help your brother. You've got a responsibility to help your brother. You know, if in fact he has some issue, help him with that issue in kindness and gentleness and love. But first, 
take the plank out of your eye. Do you think anybody is going to take you seriously when you're walking around with a log in your eye and you're going to talk to somebody else who has some small issue in their life? No, you're not. You're not advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. All you are is an arrogant, self-righteous person. Sounds a lot like the Pharisees, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like the Pharisees. And I spoke about this issue last night in church, and I called it false religiosity, where we, we effectively adopt a certain attitude. We think that because we're going to church, because we may be a deacon in church, we have a responsible position in church, that we are, in fact, saved and, ser and serving Jesus Christ. False! None of that. None of that addresses your issue with Jesus Christ. The question is, how are you sold out and submitted to Jesus Christ? Jesus plus nothing else is salvation. I don't care who you are. I don't even care if you're a Bible teacher. All right? The mere fact that God may use you as a Bible teacher does not, in fact, mean that you're right with God. All right? I'll be the first to say it. I told you that all the time that my dad used to warn me, when you point your finger out at the congregation, remember there are three coming back at you. You understand? Don't ever forget that. That's why we need to be bowing before the throne of God in submission. Everything that we do is about Jesus. Everything. In every aspect of our life, as we bow before the throne of God in humility, understanding the call on our lives. And so think about that. When, when you're about to go out and talk to somebody and you see see that speck in their eyes. Think about, first of all, pray. Lord, help me, Father. Am I in a position where I need to speak to this someone? Is it my role, Father? Is it my responsibility? Are you calling me to do that? And if you are, Father, teach me, help me, guide me, so that I may know exactly how to do. And let me warn you about something else. Be warned. Do not pronounce anybody's eternal salvation or judgment, all right? Don't go to somebody and in any way think that by you saying you're going to hell, that's going to advance their walk. You are not God. Only God knows where people's lives and souls are at. Only God, not you. And it's God to forgive you if you do that. And I'm going to say something else, that some of us wonder why we're estranged from our children. Oh, I don't really understand it, really. What kind of house did you have? Did you have a house in which you were const constantly passing judgment, uh, speaking out? Uh, or did you have a house that was full of love and kindness uh, and affirmation? Now, I'm, listen, I'm not indicting you. I'm asking you to go before the throne of God and ask yourself these questions. Did I live that kind of way? Did I show love in my house? Did I show love towards my wife? Did I show love towards my children? Because the evidence is years later. Years later. This is how Christ wants us to live. And so he tells us specifically, this is important. So we need to love people more and more and more. It is not the natural tendency. We are not made naturally to love people. And all you have to do is spend about a week in Naples during the season. This past week, I was driving. Uh, Carlo and I were going to go. Here it is, driving. All right, That's the ultimate sin in, in Naples. That's the test. That's the ultimate test. And Are you really saved? I'll find out. Get in your car, 
drive downtown, try to go about two miles. I was going to Carlo's house, and we were going to play golf. And this lady in front of me uh, on a bike, that's a warning, on a bike, that's, a, that's another flag. This woman who was about 65, 68 years old on a bike, older woman, and I see her in front of me, and, and I suddenly, I, I go around her. I'm going around her. The other side of the street was empty. And as I go around her, all of a sudden, she flips some signal with her hand. And it wasn't a salute. <laughs> all right? And she's screaming at me. And then, and so, I'm from New Jersey. If somebody wants to talk to me, I'll pull over. I'll pull over. This could be a God moment. Who knows? <laughs> I said, excuse me, did, did you want to say something to me? Oh, she wanted to say something. And words came out of her mouth, and vulgarity came. I mean, this is somebody in their 60s, vulgarity the likes of which you hadn't seen in midtown Manhattan. <laughs> I said, lady, get off the road. Get off the road. But you see how you're being tested? In every way, how you're being tested. Look, you know, I mean, the old me, I don't want to tell you what the old me would do. But, but you know what? Now I'm, I'm constrained. It doesn't mean, and let's understand this, it doesn't mean that I'm filled with meekness and humility. I don't want you to think that, okay? All right? I don't want you to think, oh, John. No, no. Because when I see that, immediately the old John bubbles up. Well, I'd like to grab her off that bike. I'll show her a thing or two, all right? I'll show her a thing or two. Instead, all of a sudden, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes down on me. John, you can't act like that. You can't speak like that. You're a Christian. People look at you with your conduct. That's how God wants you to be. You understand? It doesn't mean that you won't be tempted. It doesn't mean that you won't see things that are outside of the will of God. It, won't see things that you won't, it doesn't mean that you won't be offended, but it means that you will act in accordance with the discernment of the Holy Spirit, in love, in gentleness, and kindness. You will not make reckless judgments. You understand? You will not make reckless judgments. You will wait and reflect. I don't know what that man is going through. I don't know what it's like to walk in his shoes. Lord, give me grace to understand that person before I speak. No, because before you speak about somebody else's speck in his eye, look first at the log, at the plank in your own eye. May God convict us of this. May God speak to our hearts about this issue, about how we need to walk. This is all about walking as godly men in an evil world and being the kind of men that God wants you to be. Yes, he wants you to stop judging. He wants you to stop slandering. He wants you to stop gossiping. But at the same time, he wants you when it's appropriate and in love and kindness and gentleness to restore people that have walked away from the cross. That's your responsibility. And you pray to God that he fills you with the Holy Spirit, that he fills you with this love so that you understand exactly what it means to be a Christian. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. I thank you for these men. Lord, I ask you that this message resonate in our heart this week as we understand what it means to walk with you and how we are responsible not to judge other people. But at the same time, Father, give us the wisdom and discernment to know when it's not judging, but instead it's loving evaluation. Father, we put all of this in your name, Lord, Protect our people. Bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. 
We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you guys.